to Phoenix Bible Church. Just once again, if you're new, we're so excited that you joined us this morning. Uh, my name is AC. I'm the associate pastor here, and so I would love to get to know you after this if I haven't met you before. Um, we're going to continue our series, our last Sunday in Advent, actually, uh, in Prepare the Way. We've been talking about John the Baptist's life, and so we're going to continue that today in uh, John chapter 3. Uh, but before we do, uh, why don't you pray with me, and you guys can have a seat. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to gather together this morning. God, we thank you for these kids, uh, and for Danica, who's worked so hard with all the leaders to coordinate this and so many things over this year, God. And we just pray that you would continue to bless them in the ministry and uh, to help them to be raised to know you and to love you, Father, to know your love for them. God, we ask that as we study your word this morning that you would work in our hearts, giving us hope and peace, uh, that we, as we think about everything going on in this season of life, Father, that you would continue to remind us that Jesus is here uh, to give us a joy, to give us a hope, and to give us peace, Father, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of, the, in front of you under the seat. Uh, you can grab that in John chapter 3. You can flip over in your phone. Uh, we're going to start in verse 22 in just a minute. Well, as we think about this Christmas season, I'm reminded of being a little kid and just the anticipation that I would have every year in my family, right after Thanksgiving, we would go and get our Christmas tree. And so that weekend we would have the tree decorated and then the house would start to transform and then lights would go up in the neighborhood around us. And so everything started to get filled with this sense of excitement, this sense of joy, this sense of wonder, just everything would start to be anticipating what was to come. Right, Christmas would just be this thing that we were looking ahead to and counting down the days. I remember the advent calendar with like the paper rings. You remember this? Where you'd like tear a ring off every day and you think maybe if I tear two off every day, it'll come a little faster. Um, this was the anticipation for the holiday that we were waiting for. It's seven days until Christmas. How do you feel? Excited. Great. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe you feel this way too. But sometime between getting my driver's license and starting to pay my own bills, I traded a lot of that anticipation in this season for anxiety, for stress, for frustration, for confusion. See, the reality is, is that in this season, while we have all of these things to look ahead to, maybe it's family meals and presents and, and getting to spend time with friends and family and exciting things at like church service on Saturday, there's also just so much pressure and stress and strain in this season, isn't there? Right? If you're a student or maybe a parent of students, you have finals weeks and papers and everything stacking up at the end of the semester. Maybe at work, you have the end of the fourth quarter. And so you're going to have a few days off at the end of the year, but that means you just have to double down and work harder right now in order to be off those days. At home, you're trying to clean and organize and get everything in order so that you can have guests. And of course, this season is just a reminder of the guests that aren't coming anymore for one reason or another. This season that's supposed to be exciting and fun, and it just continues to stack with things to do. Those to-do lists just get longer and longer with decorations and cleaning and presents. And how's your shopping going, by the way? I mean, for me, yesterday, I took Benji shopping. And just to be honest with you, the most stressful part of my day was not the two-year-old running around the store trying to bob and weave through clothes and poke every mannequin he saw. There was all kinds of stress from the parking lot to the register. And it was on everybody else's faces. And so in this season where we're supposed to be excited, we're supposed to have wonder and, and, and be looking ahead to, to celebrating something, there's always this like undertone of chaos. There's this pressure on us to do the right thing and buy the right present and, and finish the right task and do everything else in order so that we could be happy and joyful 
and triumphant and everything else those songs say. But we don't really feel that way a lot of times, or at least it's a mix. So the reality is, is that when we're in this season and as a church, we've been, we've been going through an Advent season as well. Advent really just means arrival. And so this is a season that, that we're supposed to take to prepare ourselves, to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus, right? It's a reminder of how much we need Jesus in this season. With the chaos around us, it's a reminder that we need peace. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is a season for us to look back and remember that God sent his son into this world to be with us, and but also to look forward that he is coming back to return to us. And in this Advent season, each Sunday, we've been focusing on John the Baptist's life. And so we've taken different passages that describe what it was like from when he was a baby and when he entered into ministry and how he continued in ministry. And today we're going to see towards the end of his ministry in John chapter three. And so if you have that Bible, open up to to chapter three and follow along as I start reading in uh, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of the, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, he look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You may remember from other passages that Jesus comes to John to be baptized. He inaugurates his ministry by stepping into the Jordan River with John the Baptist and laying down into the water and coming back up and then going and starting his ministry. And John remembers this, certainly his disciples remember this because they're reminding him at this point. And so what Jesus has done is he's, after being baptized, he started to preach and he started to gain followers, right? These disciples are, are literally following him from town to town and into cities. And he's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven and people are starting to listen. Jesus's ministry is gaining traction. And now his disciples are baptizing in the same river that John was baptizing. And so his disciples are witnessing Jesus and his disciples doing this ministry. And they start to get concerned So they go to their rabbi. And we have to understand about that term rabbi is it's an honorary title that basically means teacher. And in that culture, what had happened is you'd have these rabbis, these teachers, these leaders that people would begin to follow. See, they would take the scriptures and start to discern what they would mean. They would start to try to understand what the passages were teaching and then apply them in their lives. And so for someone to be a rabbi, they're trying to tell people, this is the way that you understand God's word. This is the way that you follow God's law. This is what your life should look like. And so disciples, people who would become followers of these rabbis would start to dedicate themselves to them. They would look to them and support them and and learn from them and try to grow and follow and live the life that they were teaching. See, what they did is they looked at them as a way to find the way of life that God was calling them to. They wanted to be faithful followers of the Lord. And so their rabbi, in this case, John the Baptist, that was the one that they were going to follow. 
That was the one that they had dedicated to. That was the one that they maybe had sacrificed for in order to learn, in order to grow, in order to figure out what life was supposed to look like. That's a commitment that they made. But now as Jesus starts his ministry, he's starting to gain followers himself. And in the eyes of the followers of John the Baptist, there's competition. In the eyes of the followers of John the Baptist, there's something that needs to happen here. Whether John continues to preach and minister, shouldn't Jesus be under him? I mean, he, he baptized Jesus. I think we can probably understand this in our culture, right? I think we have a reality in our culture that says when you have some type of accomplishment, when you have some type of achievement, you need to start to platform that. You need to make sure that people know that, right? John the Baptist needs social media. He needs to be posting all these pictures of baptisms. He needs to have reels of his sermons. He needs to be able to promote his past performances and cast vision for the future. You thought baptism in the river was good? Wait till you see the ocean. He needs to let people know who he is and what he's doing, right? This is what the, his disciples are saying to him, John, don't you know who you are? I mean, really think about the reputation John would have at this point. Think about what we've covered over the last few Sundays. John's birth itself was a miracle. His mother was barren. His father was a priest, but elderly. And yet somehow God blessed them with a child, And his father being a priest, his mother being a righteous woman, they raised him to know and to love and to follow the Lord. And then when he entered into ministry, he essentially took a vow of poverty, forsaking everything in the corrupt systems around him. He ate locusts and honey and wore camel hair. Pretty itchy from what I hear. The sacrifice, the call, the the willingness to do whatever it took to tell people that God's judgment was coming if they didn't repent, the the willingness to preach in the desert and baptize in the river and and to call people to a new way of life that, that people were actually reacting to. I mean, crowds had come, people had gathered, followers were with him. John had a reputation. Even King Herod knew who he was. Shouldn't that be the leader? Shouldn't Jesus be trying to learn from him? John doesn't want to hear any of that. John's response is completely different than his disciples would have expected. Look back at verse 28 with me. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Look, if this is, if this is a time for you to take notes, if you take notes, if you don't take notes, just write this down. This is a thing for us to remember. I think in this season with Christmas, but especially with the new year, as you think about your, your resolutions, don't platform yourself. Praise the Prince of Peace. Don't platform yourself. Praise the Prince of Peace. See, what John's disciples were doing is saying, John, you have, you've done so much. You've accomplished so much. You have their followers. You have us who are here, but you also have all of these people who you've influenced. You have all of this stuff that you've accomplished. You, you know, in your short time of your ministry, you've been able to call people to repentance, to cast a vision for a new life, to, to lead people to want to seek after the will of God. You've baptized even Jesus himself. John, 
Shouldn't we do something? And his response is, you've heard me said it from the beginning. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. John was confident in his purpose. He knew exactly what his meaning and ministry were about. He knew exactly what he was focused on trying to accomplish, but he knew exactly who he wasn't. He wasn't the Christ. He wasn't the Savior. See, the reality is, is that, 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 is that at that time, the Christ is a someone that they're very familiar with that title. Right? In the Old Testament, we have these, these prophecies where God is pointing to an anointed one, a son that is to come, who's going to be a savior. Anointed literally means pouring, a head of, pouring on of oil. Right? And so when they're putting someone into an office, especially like a king or a priest or a prophet, God uh, has this opportunity where his people anoint them, literally pouring oil on their heads to set them apart, to consecrate them, to symbol that they are in this special place, in this special position. And so this prophecy points ahead, a lot of prophecies point ahead to this prophet, priest, king, son, who's going to come, the anointed one, the Christ, the Savior. See, they knew that they needed something different. And by the time John the Baptist is doing his ministry in the desert of Israel, people were waiting hundreds of years for this anointed one to come. They'd seen nations come and conquer and leave and new ones come and conquer and leave. And now Rome had come and conquered and was still there. And so they suffered under the oppression of the empire. They suffered under the oppression of kings in their region. They suffered under their own cruelty toward one another because people are sinners. And so John entered into this society calling for repentance, calling for change, calling for transformation, to turn away from sin, to turn away from selfishness, to turn away from everything that leads us from the grace and goodness of God and to turn back to the Lord, to repent and turn back to him and to follow his way and to follow his will and to look for the Christ, the Savior. But John knew he wasn't the savior. Maybe a prophet, maybe just a preacher, pretty good Baptist from what I hear, but he wasn't the Christ. And so when his disciples come to him and tell him we need to do something, we need to realize this, this guy, Jesus, he's starting to create some competition. John's reaction is the opposite. No, he must increase, I must decrease. I mean, the reality is, is there's a temptation for all of us to, to think the opposite, isn't it? I mean, in our own lives, certainly in pastors' lives, you see the reports whenever they come out that there's plenty of pastors who in their own pride have looked at their own gifting and their own skill and been able to stand in front of crowds of people and think, look at what I've done. Look at how much I've accomplished. Look at all the people I've had an impact on. Certainly I deserve this in my life and that in my life. I mean, God wants me to be happy. God wants to bless me. And then their headlines But it's not just pastors, it's people, right? It's our own sin nature to say, I deserve this. I've worked hard for this. I've earned this. And whatever cost it is to get that. That's the temptation his disciples are fighting. That's the temptation John himself has to fight because if he looks around, he's got people looking to him, listening to him, following him. And certainly in this moment, he could say, yeah, you're right. I should, 
Let's go this way. Let's go up the river. Let's move in a different direction. Let's go to a new city. Or let's refute Jesus. Let's combat Jesus. Let's defend our faith against this fool. That's not what he does. He humbles himself and remembers to stay the course. God has a path for him and a plan for him, and he's following that passionately. And he knows that he is not the Christ. So the reality is, is that John knew that no matter what he could do, he could preach in the desert, he could baptize in the river, he could continue to proclaim repentance, but he couldn't bring healing. He couldn't bring hope. All he could do is help people recognize that there was something wrong in this world. All he could do is point to the thing in your soul that says something in my life just isn't quite satisfying. Something about my life, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, I just don't quite feel right. I just don't quite feel good. I just don't quite feel content. That's all John could do is he could point to those things. He could call you to repent. He could tell you to turn around and and neglect and forget your sin and to move towards the Lord, but he couldn't give hope. He couldn't bring healing. He couldn't bring peace. No matter how much our souls ache for it, John couldn't do it, but he knew that about himself. He knew that. He knew the scriptures. He knew the prophecies. He knew what had been taught about the Christ. And so he looked at passages like in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, if you're not familiar, Isaiah is a prophet that wrote down his his messages from God to the people of Israel. And and it starts with warnings of judgment. The nation of Israel has a torrid history of being divided against the Lord, forsaking the God who had rescued them out of Israel, given them salvation, and given them a a place and a piece of milk flowing with milk and honey, right? Prosperity and wealth and provision from God Himself. And they'd torn apart literally into two kingdoms battling each other, but also within their own society, families and brothers and sisters were at war with each other. They neglected God. They neglected one another. And so Isaiah starts to bring, ju- bring a message of judgment upon these people. But God, while is righteous and just, he is also merciful and loving. We see that in Isaiah 9. In this picture, when God is bringing judgment upon the people of Israel, he does not forsake them forever. In fact, he brings a message of hope and reconciliation and redemption. And not just for them, but for the world. And in verse 6 of that chapter, it says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There is no hope in John, only a call to repentance, right? He gives us this image of the best friend of a bridegroom, right? Think about all the weddings you've been to. And this isn't some rom-com where the best man is in love with the bride, right? John is saying he is excited for the groom. When he hears the vows come from his voice, he is anticipating, he is excited for the marriage that is to follow. So when he hears Jesus proclaiming in the desert, when he hears Jesus ministering, when he sees people begin to follow him, he celebrates that. Because John knows that there is no hope in him. He is only a preacher in a field. He is not the Christ. He's just John. But Jesus, in Jesus, there is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, a prince of peace, 
Prince of Peace. Don't platform yourself. Praise the Prince of Peace. Remember that Jesus is the one who brings peace. Remember that he is the one who brings hope. Remember that this season, this holiday, that Christmas is supposed to call us to focus on him. Right? In all the hustle and bustle with all the shopping and the arguments, with all the confusion and frustration, with all the traffic, with everything that's going on around us in this chaos, remember that we have a prince of peace. Right? And the reality is that our lives are always full of chaos. Right? This is just chaos draped in red and green. Remember the prince of peace. Remember him. Because while John couldn't bring it, Jesus brings hope. While John was just here for a moment, Jesus is here for eternity. Remember the Prince of Peace. This is the message that we have for Christmas. This is, this is the message that we have for us even to this day, right? Like when we're thinking about all the things of this world, when we're thinking about all the things around us, when we're thinking about work and studies and family and friends and neighbors and that guy that stole your lawnmower and everything else that stinks and is hard and is confusing and is frustrating and is exhausting about the next seven days, especially six hours and or six days and 12 hours. You're getting there close. We have a source of peace. We have a savior who can bring us hope and healing and a power to give us peace in the midst of all of this chaos. Peace in the midst of the stress and the strain. Peace in the midst of our frustration, our confusion, our depression, our loneliness, our anger, and our suffering. Peace. That is why John said he must increase and I must decrease. That is why John was willing to step back as Jesus stepped up. That is why John said that this was my work, but that is far greater. What Jesus did by coming into this world, by ministering and teaching the way of the kingdom of God, by being crucified and resurrecting, that is the Prince of Peace. And so for you, that's a reminder to, to cling to that, to hold on to him, especially as we, find, as we conclude this year, as we head into Christmas and whatever things are, are weighing heavy on your heart. But it's also a reminder that while you might have that hope, that while you have that peace, you have coworkers and neighbors and family members and friends who don't. You have people in your life. You're thinking about them right now. You can picture their faces and remember their names, people who do not have that peace. And in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in their lives, they have no peace because they don't have Jesus. They don't know him. They don't trust him. They don't love him. And they more importantly, don't know that he loves them. And so this is an opportunity for us to think about them those people in our minds right now to be praying for them, to be thinking about them and to be inviting them to come and see what it's like to have that peace. Come and hear about that peace. And a key way that you can do that is this Saturday. A really easy way is in the midst of everything else that goes on with busy schedules for this weekend to take an hour and join together with other believers who have that peace, who have that hope, who look to Jesus as the foundation for life itself and to invite them to join us in that. 
to invite them to come and hear about that peace and hope that we have in Christ, to invite them to come and see what it looks like to have a savior in the midst of chaos, to invite them to come and find peace. I wanna encourage you to think about those people to do that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to gather together this morning. And God, as we, as we pray and as we study this word, God, I ask that you would encourage us should work in our minds and in our hearts to find peace, Father. Peace in Christ. God, a, a Savior who has conquered everything in this world, the evil, the injustice, the pain and suffering, and was willing to endure pain and suffering of his own in order to give us that peace, God. To give us a new hope. To give us everlasting life. To be a wonderful counselor a mighty God, an everlasting father, the prince of peace. God, help us to remember that. Help us to stay focused on that in this season. Help us to to teach others and to lead others to know him, Father, to experience that love, to experience that peace. Help us to platform him and not ourselves, to not be distracted or torn apart or downtrodden, God, but to remember the prince of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.